RetroSeasons.com for more sports history. Bill Rizzuto's Sports Caravan. And now let's climb aboard the Sports Caravan for a news-packed feature-filled quarter hour with baseball's number one shortstop star of the world champion New York Yankees, and in 1950, voted the American League's most valuable player, Phil Rizzuto. Hello there, fans, and after the winter layoff, I'm really happy to get our radio sports caravan rolling again. We're loading up with a lot of fine sports features for you each time, and a little later in this show, I'm going to bring on a popular personality you all know. But first, Phil, with the new baseball season getting underway, I'm sure the fans would like to get a line on how you figure the 1954 Major League pennant race. Well, I knew that pitch was coming, Bob. We've played most of the American and National League teams in spring training games, so I've had the chance to look the clubs over pretty well. But you know how I hate going out on the limb picking the pennant races, Bob. Well, don't go out too far, Phil, but let's get some sort of a picture first of your own league, the American. Well, there's no question in my mind the Yankees will have a rough time making it six pennants in a row, chiefly because several of the other clubs have picked up important strength. Sure, we added big Harry Bird to our pitching staff in the big winter trade with the A's, but don't forget the Senators also bolstered their pitching staff. In a deal that many baseball men couldn't figure out, Washington somehow swiped 18-game winner Maury McDermott away from the Red Sox, along with Tommy Umflett in exchange for Jackie Jensen. Now, that gives the Senators the makings of a great pitching crew in Bob Porterfield, Frank Shea, Chuck Stobbs, and McDermott. Their outfield is now about the fastest in baseball, and given some added batting punch, the Nats could crack that first division. Speaking of the Red Sox, they look like the dark horse entry of the league. Their top prospect is service returnee Leo Kiley, a lightning-fast lefty. He showed a world of stuff back in the 1952 season, and with a little more experience, he should be a big winner for Boston. All of their standout youngsters in 1953, Pierce Saul, Bowling, White, Skinny Brown, and the rest, they'll be back to spark the Bo Sox again. And isn't there going to be some guy by the name of Ted Williams playing left field, Phil? Oh, I haven't forgotten him, Bob, but sometimes I'd like to. The way he slams out those hits so nice and easy-like. The Red Sox will have Ted's power all season, and together with Jensen, who also busts the long ball, Boston might come up with a pennant-wrecking one-two punch. Hey, what am I saying? Well, it looks like you figure the Red Sox is the Yankees' closest competitors. But what about the two teams who've been on New York's heels for the past few years, Cleveland and Chicago? Well, they've kind of stood still since last season ended, and they're still trying to patch up their leaky defensive infield. Cleveland has bought Rocky Nelson for first base, but Nelson had tryouts in the majors before. And from where I see things, Cleveland won't beat us out this year either. Say, Phil, how about those go-go White Sox? Well, they're a scrappy bunch, all right, Bob. But in the stretch run of each season, Paul Richards' men seem to be more gone-gone than go-go. Now, lack of bench strength, something the Yankees are lucky to have, has been knocking the White Sox out of the race. This showed up last year when nobody could take over for Bob Elliott, Nellie Fox, Sam Mealy, and Billy Pierce when they began to tire in September. Chicago doesn't have much pitching depth, and if it weren't for Virgil Truck's terrific comeback, they'd have been worse off. No, I can't see the White Sox as the top contender for 54. Well, now, Phil, where does that leave Detroit, Philadelphia, and Baltimore? Well, the Tigers can't be laughed off so easily. They are the league's most improved team and may stir up a heap of trouble this year with the first division teams. Ray Boone's extra base slugging and Harvey Keene's steady sticking promise to rack up many a starting pitcher. And the Tigers have a good mound core of their own operating in Billy Heft, Ted Gray, Ralph Franker, and Ned Garber. The A's and Orioles will be trying out a lot of young players and probably won't figure much in the flag chase this year. A pair of bobs, Trice for the A's and Turley for Baltimore, are a couple of star pitchers who will snatch most of these tail-enders' headlines. 
Well, how does the National League race shape up in your crystal ball, Swami? <laughs> well, you know, I said in the beginning I didn't want to go out on a limb, so I'd better start crawling back to safe ground with just a fast rundown of the National League. The Dodgers' hold on the pennant, on the pennant looks safe to me, unless the return of pitchers Chet Nichols from the Army to Milwaukee can make the difference. And I don't think Chet or the other brave additions are enough. Willie Mays should fill a big hole for the Giants, but I'm afraid Leo DeRoche's pitching problems will lose a lot of sleep for him before the season is over. From there on, it's anybody's guess. But it will probably be the Cardinals, Phillies, Reds, Cubs, and Pirates in that order. Well, starting next time, Phil will be back with his mailbag session answering the sports questions sent in by our listeners. So if any of you fans have a sports query, especially about baseball, be sure and send it in to us here on the Sports Caravan. Address all mail to Phil Rizzuto in care of this station. It'll be forwarded to Phil for his attention. Say, how many of you fans listening in would like to be a baseball manager? I'll bet most of you at one time or another have pictured yourselves at the helm masterminding some big league team. Well, each time, two fans get just that opportunity on this program in our game of grandstand manager. Phil, suppose you tell everybody all about it. We're glad to, Bob. It's a lot of fun and it's easy. On each program, we recall a crucial moment from a regular major league ball game. The tight spot we present calls for a manager's strategy. Now, I'll help you out with the names of pinch hitters and relief pitchers who are available for the situation. Then it's up to my two competing fans to play their roles of managers and come up with their own winning solutions. Today we have with us Rosemarie Pavlik and Kathy Buell. Rosemarie, tell me, uh, where are you from? I'm from Pittsburgh, Phil. And uh, what do you do, Rosemarie? I'm a stewardess for American Airlines. Oh, that's wonderful. Tell me, what, what happens when somebody gets sick on those planes like me? It could never happen, Phil, because when you fly with American, it's like sitting in your own living room. Do you like your work? Yes, very much. Okay. And, uh, Kathy, what do you do? I'm a stewardess for American Airlines, too. Oh, do you work together on the same plane? No. Unfortunately, we haven't had the pleasure yet. Oh, I see. Do you like your work, too, Kathy? Very much, yes. And where are you from? I'm from California. Oh, good. Well, if you're all ready, then, here's Bob Gladstone with today's game. Well, it's the first game of the 1953 World Series with Brooklyn playing the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. New York jumped off to an early 5-1 lead, but in the sixth inning, Schubert's homer routed Yankee starting pitcher Allie Reynolds, and Johnny Sane took over to put out the fire. In the Dodgers' seventh inning, with the score now 5-4 against them, Roy Campanella singled to left, went to third on Gil Hodges' hit through short, and scored to tie up the game on Carl Ferrillo's hit. Hodges went to second on the play, and the next Brooklyn batter is Billy Cox, will be followed to bat by the pitcher. That's the setup. Yankees versus Dodgers. A tie game in the seventh inning. Brooklyn batting has two men on base and nobody out. Now, Kathy, as Yankees manager, would you leave Sane in to face Cox, or would you replace him with either left-handed Bob Cazava or right-handed Jim McDonald, both of these pitchers warming up in the bullpen? Being a Yankee manager in this situation, I think I'd, um, I'd leave Johnny Sane in because uh, Cox being a right-handed batter, Johnny Sane is simply our... Um, best relief right-handed pitcher, I'd leave Johnny Sane in. That's a very sound logic, Kathy. And what about you, Rosemary, as the Dodgers manager? With the possible lead runs on base, would you have Cox bunt or hit away in this situation? Well, I believe, Phil, that I would have him bunt because the Dodgers would still have two outs left to get their runs in. Well, that's very good logic, too. Well, I've lined up with the girl managers pretty well. <laughs> well, Bill, how did the Yankee and Dodger managers mastermind this spot? Well, Casey Stengel left Sane in the game, and Charlie Dressen ordered Cox to bunt the runners along. However, Cox bunted into a force out at third. The pitcher did the same thing, and the Yanks eventually won the game with the Sane the winner, 9-5. to five. Well, Rosemary and Kathy, I want to thank you very much for taking your time for American Airlines and joining us. And for your appearance here, you'll each receive a year's free subscription from Sports Magazine. 
And now it's a real pleasure to introduce my guest star. He's Bill Stern, one of America's ace sportscasters. How are you doing these days, Bill? Just fine, Phil. Well, Bill, how long have you been announcing sports? Since 1934. Oh, my gosh. Can you tell my listeners how you got started? Yes, I was the stage manager at the Radio City Music Hall, and I pestered NBC to death. Can we say NBC? Oh, certainly you can. <laughs> I pestered him to death. They were right across the street in Radio City, and finally, to get rid of me, they let me do two minutes of a football game, and Graham McNamee was the sports announcer oh, uh-huh. in those days. And he waited until Navy drove down to the William & Mary goal line. It was a Navy-William & Mary game, and that's the two minutes he let me do, and anybody would sound good. Well, you really do get excited during the football game, because I know I've listened to you many times, and it's a great thrill, too. Thank you, Phil. Well, what was the most thrilling sports event that you ever broadcasted, Bill? I think probably the end of the 1939 Rose Bowl, where Duke, a team that had been unscored on, unbeaten, untied, and was leading Southern Cal 3 to nothing with just seconds left in the game, uh-huh. was beaten 7-3 to three on four forward passes. Was that the game where Tipton was kicking them out on the one-foot line? You're so right. Oh. you got a good memory, well, Harry I'd... Tipton. Yes, I remember that That's very well. That's right. Yes, Red Tipton, great and, football uh... player. Did they make a touchdown to beat uh, Duke? Southern Cal sent in a fourth-string quarterback by the name of Doyle Nave, and he started throwing passes to a third-string end, Al Kruger. Oh. And they completed four in a row, and the fourth one was just before the end of the ball game, and that beat Duke. <laughs> I bet you were a little hoarse after that game, I weren't sure you? was. <laughs> well, who do you consider the most outstanding athlete you ever saw, Bill? The best athlete in, in any sport, Bill? Yeah, I know it's a tough question, Bill, but... Just... I would say Henry Armstrong, pound for pound. Oh, gee, I miss seeing him fight, but I know he was terrific. Great. I think he's the best I ever saw. If you take everybody pound yes. for pound, I'd say um, you're right up there yourself. Oh, no, I don't compare with Yes, those you now. do, Phil. Yes, you do. I had to stop for a minute before I answered that question. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Bill. But can you remember anyone you ever saw that looked like a great coming star to you but just seemed to disappear? That looked like a great coming star and just seemed to disappear. Well, I've seen fighters that I thought were tremendous. I thought Tommy Collins a year ago, oh, I saw him uh-huh. beat Chavez so badly they had to stop the fight. Uh-huh. His next fight was with Carter for the lightweight championship. I thought not only the kid had a chance, I thought he'd win, and he made such a miserable showing he gave up boxing. How about it? It's hard to figure out how those things happen. Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Well, what's a typical day in the life of a busy sports director like yourself, Bill? Well, Phil, it depends on what season and what we're doing. Uh, get into the office normally around 11 o'clock in the morning. We have a show which requires a lot of writing and a lot of rehearsing. goes mm-hmm. on at 6.15 at night. And then a television show that goes on 11.10 in the evening. And between rehearsing and writing and knowing what you're going to talk about, that's generally the day. Well, Bill Stern, I want to thank you very much for being with us tonight. We certainly appreciate it, although it was a switch me interviewing you. Phil, I want to ask you a question. If I uh-huh. come up to the Yankee Stadium, will you let me play shortstop? Yes, the second game of a doublehead on a hot day. <laughs> Thank you very much, Phil. I enjoyed it tremendously. Before you leave, Bill Stern, I want you to take this Longine watch. It's called the Ball Players Watch. Wear it in good health. Thank you, Phil. I shall. <laughs>